Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist, Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California, Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services. And I'm joined by my co-host, second year child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hey, guys. Third year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Edgar Ortega. Hi, Edgar. Hello, everybody. And second year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Hey, Dr. Parks. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR School of Medicine. Have you ever felt that uh, you were um, uh, just firing on all cylinders and you were clicking and uh, like, uh, you know, whatever terminology you use, like you were not having to think about every single action that you were doing and um, you were uh, you were just performing at a high level, and it felt good. Now this can be in sports or writing. Why do I say that? Because I feel like I've had those experience in playing sports and writing. But we're going to talk about flow, and we're also going to talk about peak experiences too, which is different. But I kind of want to throw that out to you all. It's like, do you feel like you've had these experiences of flow? Where you just you're on, you're unconscious because uh, I, I you know I, I feel like that is what we all strive at least that's what I strive for. So I I guess I what I looked up was a different definition of flow, not so much oh. just kind of like <laughs> things are firing off at all cylinders. What I was seeing was more along the lines of feeling a complete sense of self, uh, self actualization, and um, lack of want because you, you just feel so fulfilled in that moment is that that sounds like peak experiences oh, which is okay good i also think that is a goal okay well i, also I, feel I guess like a i got a similar thing to tosha i got um selflessness timelessness effortlessness and richness in flow that's from stephen kotler who i think researches it a lot Okay. Well, I mean, so I had an experience maybe just last week where I was, so I'm on the GMAC committee committee at UCR and we're What is the GMAC committee? Oh, yeah, sorry. Is that? That's the um, board that oversees all the residency and fellowship programs at UCR. Oh, wow. okay. um, and since I'm a chief fellow, I'm part of this committee um, along with DM, who's chief resident. Anyways, so um, also they, were just, they were figuring out the moonlighting policy uh, that they wanted to make for all of the programs at UCR. And um, there was a lot of back and forth. You know, some program directors didn't want their residents or fellows to moonlight at all. Um, some of them wanted uh, d different stipulations. But um, I wanted to say something, um, you know, and represent the fellows and the residents. So I sent an email and it was a long email, but writing this email, I was just like, pow, pow. Like I was just all these different points that I was making. And I felt like it was pretty coherent, um, and, and easy for me to write. Um, but I also just felt so jazzed up and so like, uh, like, purposeful and so like myself and I actually thought after I nice. sent that I was like when was the last time I felt so much like myself and it, it and it tends to be during these times where I I guess I'm advocating um and yeah I think it's been a while nice 
That sounds really good. You kind of added an aspect of it, which is the lack of self-consciousness and, you know, halting kind of checking and censorship of yourself. It's, it's, it's The flow is very easy. Right. Right. Yeah. A, a, anyone else want to share? Yeah, I can go. Oh, Alan, do you want to Yeah, go? Edgar. Okay. Well, I... So... I guess um, sometimes if we talk about peak experience versus flow, um, and we can talk about this more in detail, it's like, from what I understood, is that flow can happen when the person is having the peak experience, but not all the times that you have a, a peak flow, it's a peak experience. But I, I think mm-hmm. from what I, from my own experience, when I've uh, been able to, I guess now looking back when that happened to me, that I was performing at a level that I don't know how that happened, but I enjoy it even if it was very difficult. It's been at least in two, many more, more than two instances, but the ones I remember is working in the psychiatry emergency room at night when you're alone. Uh, sometimes it can be very difficult. And it got to the point where I'll have, it was very busy over the night, have two or three patients open at the same time. And somehow I managed to do it all. You know, I don't even know how many patients sat on my own, like eight, nine, and I was able to talk to them in extensive length they wow. needed, do all the charting, do all or the orders needed, keep things in, in, in calm, and got to the point where I didn't even notice when it was already like eight in the morning, ready, ready to go to mm-hmm. home. And it was something that kind of was meaningful to me, and I felt that I was able to not only do my job, but also help the people who need it, which is one of the reasons why I'm in medicine, especially in psychiatry, which I wanted to help people. So. Just overlooking that, like I didn't have a sense of time, and I was mm-hmm. it's it still a meaningful moment, and I, I kind of like proud of myself for being able to accomplish that. And then on the second thing, this is more of a personal thing that if, you guys already know that I like anything with cars and racing, right? Yes. So there's been a few instances, including this yeah. weekend. Um, even doing like indoor karting, it's happened before, but this weekend I was in Arizona at the Phoenix Raceway. Uh, went through with my girlfriend and we went to this like BMW ultimate experience driving thing which is autocross. Autocross just means that you're driving a, a performance car in, in a circuit that's made by like cones and then you have to know how to turn do things like that. So uh, you went, I tried the cars and the first one it was like whatever I, I couldn't get it you know I went you know maybe I didn't know the track but on the second one I just... Wait sorry either, you're saying that you drove a race car? It's not a race car. It's like a like a BMW M3 performance car. There's different oh. levels. You around can drive like race on a track on a closed track. I'm sorry. Where it's just you on oh, a racing closed. track. It, but it, it's more of like it's like they this autocross is basically on a parking lot. They design a, a circuit, oh, okay. improvise a circuit where they like you follow cones, and then the red wow. cone is when you're supposed to turn. So it's a little difficult. I never done it before. I hear about it because especially it was getting to that it was already you know the sun setting. It was a dark, and I didn't know that the the circuit that it was made there. So on the second pass, I, I had actually a faster car, an M3 car, whatever, and. It just felt like the cushion, it was right on point, and I felt at some point that you, like, again, you lost sense of time, you're enjoying it so much, and, and it feels like you're doing everything that it was supposed to be, that wow. you, I, the way I describe it to most people who like cars, is like you become one with the car, and the car goes mm-hmm. and turns whatever you want it to turn, and you're taking the, like, the fastest life that you can, that it's just yeah. like, like it's synchronized, you know? I don't know how else to describe it, but that nice just experience. happened this last weekend. That you yeah. just made driving sound so cool. You, so I, I, I want to so I, 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 I do it. <laughs> Me yeah. too. Well, 
if you like your adrenaline of driving, it makes sense. But if you're scared, then like, no, because sometimes if you're at the track, you know, you can be doing like 150 miles or something oh, like that. But I, I think that near the I barriers. think that that's one of the things you were saying is that you know you 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 almost conquer your fear in these experiences of flow. And that's what I want. I want to be like, uh, be all scared and all tentative, but then get into that state of flow and then just knock it out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and these are the things that can happen. Like for me, it's different than Tosha, maybe in the Allen, but it's the things that you maybe really are passionate or care about that like kind of like even on a daily basis, you can have a peak experience. Right. That's what they talk about. One of the um, activities that Maslow recommended for having your very own peak experience was to stare at a flower for an extended period of time or stare into the eyes of a loved one. Whoa. And those are both actually I things think... that I do. You do those Which, things? Well, yeah, yeah. Talk about a little bit about that. Gazing. Okay. Well, I, I wanted to first say that Edgar's experience um, – I thought it was cool, and I think what's one thing that's worth noting about it was that. So I, I was listening to one of the uh, Dharma punks guy talking about peak and flow, and um, he said, "I don't know what that is." Dharma punks is I don't know that I feel totally qualified to, to speak on what they do, but there are people who've mixed um, the Zen Buddhism with punk culture in a way that's been, I think, a very effective vehicle for making Buddhism more accessible to a lot of people. And they've, they're involved in some of the research on Buddhism. And there's some cool books um, that they've written. I think one of them is called Against the Stream. Um, So he talks about how in order to get to the flow experience, which that's the experience we're defining as selflessness, timelessness, and a a feeling of effortlessness, even though objectively what you're doing does require effort and then informational richness. So like your brain is taking in information in a, in a, in a really high performance way in order for Edgar to have gotten that to that place, he had to first get past the, I suck at this phase, which probably took much longer and which all of us would be in if we tried to drive a car across the racetrack and that's kind of my own peak experience that that I can think of, or no, my own my, my peak experience tends to be meditation, but my my flow experience um, is in climbing, and I've been climbing my whole life, and there's a sense I've had probably only in the last year when I'm. Uh, when I something is right at the right level, and it has to be right at the right level, where it's challenging enough that I need to do it efficiently um, and get to the top efficiently, but not so challenging that I'm scared um, when I'm placing my protection on the rock or anything like that. Um, and I recently got off of the, the wall at one point, and my belayer, who's the person who secures the ground or higher up end of the rope system mentioned to me that my my protect my clipping was really good and the, the clipping is where you bring the rope to the next place and protect it, it's it's attaching the point to the rope to the to the points of protection as you as you're moving up and um, I kind of realized at that point that I had never I had kind of not realized I was even clipping. It just happened. 
Um, and in the past, clipping was something that I had had to practice a lot. And so that's my story. And it, it, it felt great. And it felt, I mean, it, it's weird, right? It's that flow thing where it felt great because it didn't quite feel like anything. It was everything and nothing. And it, it was all these kind of vague I think, nonsense. I think also that like taught, listening to Edgar's story about working at the hospital um, and my and my experience reflecting on it, I think there's also some additional components of like with Edgar's thing, there are a lot of uh, problems that you come across in treating patients working in a hospital system and I think there's a level of acceptance you need to have and being able to be flexible working your way around those obstacles um, and and knowing how to uh, succeed given those obstacles that contributes to this capacity for flow and then on the other side on my on my experience I think there's also it, it would be interesting to add to this um, concept of what is flow or peak experience is um, the idea of not having expectations of what might happen because I feel like I personally felt so free to just express myself and put my word out there and not have expectations of this is going to change everything or I you know I'm going to save the residents <laughs> or something like that you know that is another good point I think it's a part of flow is that there's a idea of a freedom and power of of this expression and of choices and again i i feel like what's the best way to clinically describe it it's almost like uh you you don't have any anxiety or you have very yeah. little anxiety or self-consciousness mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and yeah. you you just have a, a lot of confidence like i you know i i remember my first experience of flow was um when i was playing basketball in junior high and i felt like i would, could just not miss a shot Whoa, and i just yeah. felt like I was, and I just like, I would pull up for like some 25 footer and I'd sink it. And then I felt like, wow, now I'm in a state of flow because I don't feel nervous or self-conscious about, mm -hmm. you know, what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I feel like that is, I, I now can you, t can you all say something about like, how do we create these experiences for ourselves? Like what, what can we do to make these more likely? Because I do feel like in a way, I'm I'm sort of I sort of move toward this in therapy too. I feel yeah. like that is a well. A, it's a I mean, if great one, part of life. One we mentioned Maslow's practices. Those seem like pretty mundane when you think about it, but just really committing to it. Like there's a a, a length of time aspect to these assignments or homework projects um, that I. Oh, well, the ones that I mentioned, like uh, his his suggestion to stare into a flower or stare into the eyes of your loved ones, um, it implies that you're doing this for some time. So I think there's a level of commitment, <laughs> right? Okay. Um, All right. I so don't also, wait, wait to have it happen, happenstance and just random. Yeah, you can try to make Commit it happen. To do this. Yeah. All right. Um and then also just talking about our experiences here. I mean, if we're talking about a, there's a level of competency um and being able to uh achieve do the work you need to despite obstacles that you know are going to be there. Practice. Practice is important. Um and thinking thinking through the steps before you you do whatever activity. You know, I think that might contribute to success in reaching peak flow that makes me think though i it's when like you you said were you the one that said no expectations i kind of like that like you don't that's true, enter that's true. yeah so that <laughs> makes me think no i don't want to do that because that'll activate practice. my anxiety mm -hmm. 
That'll activate my anxiety. If I think ahead, I'll just think, oh, how could things? And I'm t- then I'll get into scripting things, which mm-hmm. I don't think is good. That's a good point. So that's part of it, right? So there's apparently a hypofrontality associated with flow. And so what for our listener, for anyone, hypofrontality means that your frontal lobe, your particularly your orbital frontal lobe, which is associated um, with some of these things we're talking about, like kind of thinking about the outcome, thinking about how it's going to work out for me, thinking about all the different scenarios and how this could play out and all of these kind of ruminations. That part is downregulated during this experience of flow. Um, and the things that Tosha said are, they make me think of this study. Um, so, so Tosha talked about um, things where you're cultivating your ability to focus on, on the moment. And that's, that is what mm-hmm. I heard it was sort of the way to improve your, your chance of being in flow is to, to work at things that improve your focus. But, and you also have to be good enough at the thing you're doing. So like when Edgar mentioned, Edgar mentioned driving a, a race car, but Edgar also mentioned, you know, and I, I'll, you know, Edgar's a third year resident and I'm a second year resident. Um, and, or are you a fourth year resident, Edgar? No, I'm still in like third year. I, okay, for the first <laughs> question, Alan, do you me? listen to the intro of the show? Uh, <laughs> let's, let's establish that first. So, so. You gotta memorize that Continue. Intro. Uh, yet another deficiency, but I, I, I thought <laughs> no, as you mentioned. You know I love you, Alan. <laughs> you know I love you too. So, so as Edgar mentioned that he was seeing, I think eight or nine patients, and then in that I was thinking like, wow, I'm really not there, um, and and I'm not at that level. I could have a flow experience seeing three patients in a, some amount of time, but the 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 ED psych night shift work that he was talking about that. You know, I think you have to be at that level where you can make that a flow experience. And just as I'm not there with race car driving, I'm also not there at, at that point in my residency yet. Um, there was a study. By- wait, wait, wait. Can I can I just say that if you're just joining us, listeners, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR, and we're talking about flow experiences, peak experiences, how to make them more likely, and to maybe you know perhaps in the context of sharing our own peak and flow experiences. Continue, Dr. Atkins. Thank you. And if you're just joining us, shame on you for being here. <laughs> Rewind. Good point. Rewind the podcast. Yeah. So, so there's this study by uh, Daniel T. Gilbert um, out of Harvard that I was really interested in. It's called A Wandering Mind is an Unhappy Mind. And they found that they, – so they gave people an app where they, I guess, pinged them during random times of the day to ask them what they're doing. Um, and then they asked, they found their happiness level. And they, I think they asked a few other questions relating to whether their mind was wandering or whether it was focused on what they were going through. And the app found that regardless of whether the task people were currently doing was unpleasant, sad, horrible, or pleasant, that the people focused on the task at hand were happier than the people whose mind was wandering, even if the content of the mind wandering was better than the content of the current task. And that is good. That's a great study. I love that. Right? It's kind of, it's, it's, it's radical in a way. Um, and that idea, I think, you know, supports that all of this comes from a sense of focus and that 
you know, eye gazing, as Tosha mentioned, and meditation, and post-meditation staring, which is a coin, a, a term I just made up right now. But like when I was going to mention my peak experiences, it's, it's interesting Tosha said sharing, staring at flower because after usually after I meditate, if I meditate for at least like 20 or 25 minutes, I'll have this period where I just kind of stare with like a total neutrality at whatever's in front of me. And it feels a little zombie-ish, but in a cool way. And today, after I meditated, I opened my eyes and there was a, a tree in front of me. I looked at the base of the tree and it I saw it sort of magnified in this way that was like, wow, I've never experienced just how much of a world there is in the space of the tree. And I saw these ants crawling up the side and I saw this little crevice part that looked like a cool cave and there were shadows in there. And there was like a one centimeter little passageway and I wondered what it led to. And there were little blades of grass kind of all around it. And I don't know. I mean, for me, I think maybe that's the closest, th those post-meditation little stairs are the closest I've ever gotten to a peak experience. Yeah, you brought up a lot of good points. Uh, also, I, I, that's a good point that you brought up in uh, the first one, which was you have to be good enough to have some of the, at, at what you're trying because otherwise it's just being lucky. Like it's just being, you know, just because Wait, you, isn't that you know, what I said before about practicing? Oh, sorry. Is that what you just no, I mean, like, it, it means like, you know, whatever you're good at, you know, if it's you clicking and firing on all centers on something that you're, you're skilled at, and mm -hmm. you just you're using this skill at the highest level without thinking and not making mistakes. Other things I saw about contributing to peak flow was a release of self inhibition and a um, pursuit of desires. And uh, I think this is what I wanted to touch actually about how historically uh, peak experience and flow were come came from anecdotes. Um, I think in the 1900s, you know, it started as uh, William James in Harvard who wanted to look into altered consciousness and improve performance, and it was taken in the 40s by Maslow. This is what we talk about, and then the 70s by Mihaly, um, and they at some point. They were starting to run into problems because of the flow. Flow doesn't sound like something scientific, and it's also more related to an anecdotes and trying to look into empirical da data, like how do we explain that by science? And this is what you were kind of saying. Now, the, uh, there, there's been several, I guess, or a few uh, updates on that issue that kind of look into what you were saying, Tosha, about like cell monitoring and shutting that that down. So in 2008, in, at Hopkins, Charles Lim used functional MRI to look at the brain of improbed jazz musicians and flow. And they found that the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, which is the area that looks into self-monitoring doubt and inner critics, kind of deactivated, resulting in a liberation uh, without hesitation, more creativity, and maybe even a little being less frightened about taking risk. And this also, I think, was kind of... Uh, that makes sense, yeah. Looking to brain waves mm -hmm. and how those are different. And the last thing is that uh, something about uh, the neurochemistry that happens in flow and then it's related to things that induce pleasure, uh, performance enhancing, and up in everything. And it has to do with chemicals like we already kind of uh, maybe mentioned, endorphins, norepinephrine, dopamine, serotonin, and anandamide which in, in conjunction that? that's just another is a chemical that i think is most famous because it's released during cannabis use 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, uh, and that brings up a next another area that I want to talk about. But I'm right. sorry, finish. finish but but this basically pleasure, enhancing pleasure, enhancing performance, and upping everything on your almost fly system. Kind of. There, are, these are involving rapid fire and problem solving, which kind of goes. I, I will kind of tie everything together that we've been talking about how like you know athletes can perform better or Alan when you went climbing you could do that um, or, or in different situations like maybe what I did it, but there's some scientific evidence now starting to come up in terms of how do we explain that and it is definitely involving what you were saying to us about like kind of shutting down that uh, self monitoring kind of self inner critic that we have I you know I feel like um, yeah there's a hyper reality like you're super aware of reality and that probably helps you in this state of flow to operate such a high level but I I, I you know I'm not the first to say this but it's like we as humans uh, want these experiences we look for these experiences and you know I want to hear what you all have to say about that's one of the reasons for taking drugs you know and, and you look I, I yeah I, I don't I, we I think this is a very controversial topic to talk about that I'm talking about right now and of course I'm going to talk about it which is we all know our own experiences are talking to people our friends and such and you know our drug taking experiences have led to peak experiences now is that wrong I feel like again I'm not the first to say this but it sounds like you know we as humans look for this or want this and it's part of what makes being a human being and existing um, special or unique or interesting and I've talked to people that have had really rewarding experiences with it now because I, we're, we're sorry, yeah man. we got to be we want to be really careful sure but we want to also talk about what's actually exists and what's real yeah so when I was reading these peak experience uh, about peak experiences it did sound similar to me to accounts of uh, psychedelic use and I also want to point out, I think this is why people microdose as well to achieve peak flow. Can't, yeah, and this, you know, at the idea that, you know, we're very careful about this and we, you know, we work with folks that, you know, may perhaps have had addiction problems, but not everyone that uses drugs develops an addiction problem. That's a fact. It's not me saying that I advocated drug use. I'm just saying that is a fact. And, you know, we, in our society, we prefer certain chemicals over others, like alcohol. We, for whatever reason, alcohol, I, I feel, is, is, can be very damaging to your, this, your body and your mind. But for whatever reason, I feel like, you know, we, because we're, we don't want to talk about these kinds of things because we're so fearful of advocating addiction or a lifestyle of drug use over and over again. What are your thoughts about how, how do you How do you speak to just your colleagues about it, your friends about how much drug use is too much and you know when to know you're are you the addictive type do you look in your family history and think about these things or you know i've had people say i am i want to try mushrooms i've had people close to me say i would like to try mushrooms what are your thoughts about that and so i i i'm just gonna share i have not tried mushrooms <laughs> but i'm not gonna uh, fault people for doing it because it's a natural kind of thing and i'm not gonna say that once you try mushrooms you're, you're a hopeless addict i'm not gonna say that either what are your thoughts? I, I feel like I'm on a soapbox now. I appreciate how skillfully you talked about that, Dr. Parks. That was, you know, I think, yeah, we want to talk about what's actually going on. And sometimes I think in medicine, we are so focused on being hyper-professional that we can 
avoid subjects where there's gray area or where there's a there's an uncomfortable slope. Um, but yeah, we're not we're absolutely not advocating drug use. Um, and you know, and 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 for me. Um, well, drug use as a lifestyle. Well, as I'm just gonna say for uh, for me, I, you know, yeah, I think I think we're we're not advocating drug use, uh, period, and um, and you know, and then you know that's that in, in itself as a statement is an interesting one, right? Because we're a, a society that runs on caffeine and uh, alcohol and, and things like that. My I yeah. personally yeah. Don't, don't use any of those things partly because I'm afraid of what my own brain could get to with that stuff. I get to these mini peaks when I meditate and I, I do at the meditation retreats and stuff. I do meet a lot of people who use um, ayahuasca and other, um, you know, hallucinogenics and, and psychedelics um, and seem to get to the places that I get with meditating, but they get way, way farther to those places. And certainly there's a, curiosity about that and all I can say is I'm excited to see where the research on all this stuff goes and 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 whether that's all safe and um, I think you know there there are the the psychedelics field is emerging in medicine and there's more questions and answers right now and it will be exciting to see where those answers come up today one of my medical students that I work with told me about a drug that um, I guess is similar to ayahuasca, but is being used in, in other countries to help with opioid addiction. There, there's a lot of promise there. Thank you for sharing that. I'm so glad that, that we have someone that is an advocate for just no drug use at all and, and also is into mind expansion like you are, Alan. And I, I, that is definitely something that uh, maybe it's worth another show is like, how do you have these experiences that are very similar to psychedelic experiences, but naturally through meditation? That is all the time we have for this edition of Let's Get Psyched. Today we talked about peak experiences, flow, and maybe how to bring them on or make them more likely. Thank you to our co-hosts, Dr. Tosha Yamaguchi, Dr. Edgar Ortega, and Dr. Alan Atkins. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for the show, you can write us at getpsychedonkucrgmail.com. That's getpsychedonkucrgmail.com. And you can listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. This episode was recorded in each of our respective homes and then mixed by our producer at KUCR. Elliot Fong. So special thanks go out to him. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched. Mm -hmm.